the Israeli author Edgar Carrot was once on an airplane flying to Milan. There was terrible turbulence, and the woman sitting across the aisle from him started crying hysterically. He looked back at the flight attendants to do something, but both of them were shaking in their seat, totally paralyzed by fear. So we moved over to the empty seat next to the upset passenger and said, do you see me? I'm not crying. I'm totally fine, in the way that only an Israeli can on a turbulent plane. And she paused for a minute and said, why aren't you crying? Because I am an aeronautical engineer, and I know that this is the safest passenger plane in the world. Nothing bad is going to happen to us on this plane. And she started to calm down. She dried her tears, and she said, this is amazing. What are the odds that an aeronautical engineer, that an expert in planes, would be sitting right across the aisle from me, right in the middle of the worst plane ride I've ever been on? Jesus sent you to me in my moment of need. When Carrot tells this story, he ends by saying, this is the kind of lie that I have no qualms about telling. <laughs> when is it morally acceptable to lie? Or to stretch the truth? Or to leave out a few details? Or to slightly exaggerate? Lying is natural. Animals use deception to protect themselves from predators. And as I have recently experienced, three-year-olds experiment with lying to develop their imagination and test the boundaries of the adult world. Gossip can be a healthy way that humans relate to each other. Sharing stories about each other can play a productive role in building community. Israeli historian Yuval Noah Hariri recently wrote a book, Species, and he asks, why did sapiens succeed in place of all other human species. And his hypothesis is gossip. The new linguistic skills that modern sapiens acquired about 70 millennia ago enabled them to gossip for hours on end. Reliable information about whom could be trusted meant that small bands could expand into larger bands and sapiens could develop tighter and more sophisticated types of, co of cooperation. In our daily lives, lying takes on many forms, and the lines blur over time. Next year, when I am not so busy at work, I will spend more time with my family. I really only ate that one spoonful of ice cream at the birthday party, so I am still very much committed to this diet. I'm just going to slightly change the numbers on the spreadsheet because next month I'm going to make a really big sale and no one will ever know the difference. If I work hard enough at school and I get good grades, I will get a great job and be able to buy a house in San Francisco. <laughs> I can use a picture from five years ago for my dating profile. I basically look the same. It is the lies that we tell ourselves the lies that society tells us, and the lies that we indirectly tell to others. The rabbis of the Talmud felt so strongly about the dangers of Lashon Hara, literally evil tongue, that they compared it to idol worship and murder. 
Lashon Hara kills three people, the one who speaks it, the one who listens to it, and the one about whom it is spoken. But the one who listens to it suffers more than any of them. It's an exaggeration, but a purposeful one. The rabbis wanted to deter people from rationalizing their behavior. They wanted to warn the community, don't underestimate the danger of gossip and slander. But they weren't naive idealists. They were deeply pragmatic legalists. And they recognized that there are exceptional times when it is okay to, as they say in the Hebrew, depart from the truth. Beit Hillel teaches that one should always tell a bride that she is fair and attractive on her wedding day. But Beit Shammai challenges, what if it's not true? Doesn't the Torah teach us keep far away from falsehoods? The sages interject and conclude, a person's disposition should always be empathetic with humankind and treat everyone courteously. So it's okay to depart from the truth out of empathy for another human being, if you can avoid causing them unnecessary pain, or if you can stop them from crying on a turbulent airplane. The rabbis add, great is peace because even the Holy One departed from the truth for it. As it is written, Sarah said of Abraham in Genesis, now that I am withered, am I to have enjoyment with a husband so old? But God relayed her words to Abraham a little differently. Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I in truth bear a child old as I am? God adjusted Sarah's words in order to spare Abraham hurt feelings that might lead Abraham and Sarah to quarrel. So it's okay to depart from the truth to maintain a family. Even God sometimes edits the details for the sake of peace and to preserve marital bliss. We rarely hesitate when lying seems like the right thing to do. But what about when we are not really sure what to do? When we think that our best friend's partner may be cheating on him. When our daughter's friend may be stealing her parents' oxycodone. How do we draw the line between telling the truth and protecting the peace of our family? Oscar Wilde said, you just can't win. If you tell lies, people will distrust you. If you tell the truth, people will dislike you. In 1966, the cover of Time magazine read, Is God Dead? The cover of Time magazine this past March read, Is Truth Dead? In a world of alternative facts and fake news, how do we know what is true? Is there even an objective truth that we can identify and hold on to in a postmodern world? And if there is, what is our individual responsibility to seek out that truth? In his book, Theology After the Shoah, After the Holocaust, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg observes, classic moral traditions were shattered in the Holocaust. The norms developed by modern society of humanitarianism, liberalism, universal rights, rule of law, did not protect the Jews. In our post-Holocaust world, we question history, anthropology, even science as subjective disciplines. Why did we really fight the Civil War? How do we know the drug trial was successful when it was funded by the pharmaceutical company? 
What complex algorithm really determines our Facebook feed? This postmodern approach has broken down assumptions, assumptions about race, gender, and class. It has made space for other narratives, for intersectional identities that need to be heard and recognized. But it has also created a vacuum. It has left us unanchored and floating. When I was a 20-year-old undergraduate at Stanford, I thought Professor Richard Vorty's lectures on pragmatism were insanely profound. It's great fun to deconstruct the ideas you were so faithfully taught in high school. But as an older and wiser 34-year-old, I see more potential dangers in the teachings that I once so carefully wrote down. Relative truth is very destabilizing in life. It leaves no certainty, no trust. Yet simultaneously, the marketplace floods us with more and more sources of information and less and less time to research each of them. People have always cheated, lied, stealed. That is why we have Yom Kippur every year. But the relative morality of today coupled with the flow of data and the anonymity that technology allows for, makes it so much easier to rationalize our own behavior and ultimately weakens the structures that moderate our vices. Deborah Lipstadt, the Emory Holocaust historian, the inspiration for Rachel Weiss's character in the recent movie Denial, she recently warned that today truth and facts are under assault. Social media has allowed the difference between established fact and lies to be flattened. For extremism to parade as rational discourse. But truth is not relative. Enlightened liberal thought makes everything open to debate. But there are certain things that are objective truth. Indisputable facts. The earth is not flat. The climate is changing. And Elvis is not alive. Today we have made truth such a relative concept that we have lost a sense of morality. Truth may be fluid. The spectrum may be broader than we once thought it was. But there are still things that are right and that are wrong. There are voices that don't get to be part of the conversation. This sermon started as a sermon about Lashon Hara, about gossip, about what we share but it ultimately has become a sermon about truth. My, my feelings that it is good to ask questions, to deconstruct assumptions, to no longer rely on foundational ideas out of inertia, to disrupt. But you still need something to stand on. Once the walls have come tumbling down, once you've deconstructed it all, you still need a place to seek shelter and security. In Jewish folklore, to bring the golem, that Frankenstein-like creature, to life, you write the letters Aleph, Mem, Toth on its forehead, Emet, truth. But if you erase the Aleph, all that's left is Mem and Tav, Met, death. And the golem returns to clay. The rabbis taught us that truth is the life force of God and Torah. So Lipstadt urges us to go on the offensive, 
to interrogate extremist claims, to demand proof and evidence at every turn, to be what NPR Radio Lab's Robert Krulwich and Jab Amarad call truth warriors, declaring that the coming age of fakery will not be met lying down. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Duke professor Dan Ariely, another Israeli, teaches about experiments done around cheating at UCLA. They found that students from all backgrounds and cultures cheat. It's universal. However, when the test began by asking students to write down the Ten Commandments first, the rate of cheating went down to almost zero. Whether or not the participants could remember any of the Ten Commandments or even had any kind of religious education. Similarly, when participants saw a short honor code at the top of the page, they were significantly less likely to cheat. The phenomenon is known as the mere reminder effect. The mere reminder effect. Even the mere reminder of a moral framework, even if one hasn't bought into it, just seeing it can impact our behavior. This time on the Jewish calendar is the ultimate mere reminder. The moment where we reconnect with our moral selves, where we remember that lying and cheating is not how we want to be in this world. Take a moment to reflect on the times when we departed from truth in the past year. When we shared a rumor that we were not totally sure actually happened. When we exaggerated our accomplishments to impress a colleague or a date. When we readily accepted an online article as fact and thought nothing about sharing it with all of our friends. When we deceived ourselves about our real intentions for our actions. Rarely will someone be there to remind us of the Ten Commandments or to ask us to sign an honor code before we take a test. But we can do that for ourselves. These days of awe, these yamim noraim, inspire us to create mere reminders for ourselves throughout the year. Ultimately, I believe that Judaism can reinsert truth into the conversation. It can keep you from rationalizing bad behavior. It could recenter your moral compass. Torah can help us not only tell the truth, but try to determine what that truth is. In the year 5778, may we help to build a better, more ethical, more honest world. Shana Tzuvah.